Good morning. God is good. Yeah? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, he's good. <laughs> All the time. He has, he has blessed us richly. I like the first service. It's getting a little bit more feisty. <laughs> it's some good stuff. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and this is one of those passages that, as, as we're going to go through it today, I stand up here with a lot of, uh, I would say anxiety, but I know it's, it's going to be covered in the Spirit, and it's going to be good, um, because what we're going to look at today, Paul's going to make some really hard statements, like, I'm going to start reading through the passage, and you'll be like, oh, huh, oh, oh. then I'm going to get to two verses, and you're going to be like, Hold up, what did he just say? And, and we need to understand what Paul is saying because it's very countercultural. Because we're not going after the world. We're trying to align ourselves with God and his ways. And when we just sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we, as one voice, said, Come again, Lord Jesus, and set all things right. So when Paul makes statements that we're about to read, he's saying when Emmanuel comes again, when the second coming of Christ returns, he's going to put order and everything back the way it was meant to be before the fall. And that is good. And it is proper. And it would cause much rejoicing in his people. But in our culture, it feels quite the opposite. You'll see what I mean. So if you have your Bible, look at 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. Free gift to you. You may have that Bible to take with you. You can follow along on the screen, and we'll get through this today. And at the end, I asked Michael, since he's a big guy, just kind of to, you know, be down here when I come off the stage. That way I can get out the side door and nobody will will jump me. Uh, But this really is something we need to wrestle with and understand what God says. Uh, And I hope that God will just give us clarity um, as we do it. So let's read it and then I'll pray and uh, we'll get into this. Starting in verse 26 to the end, this is what Paul says to the church. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three, uh, let there only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission, as the law also says. 
If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he, doesn't, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Will you pray with me? Father, this last half of this chapter, it is your revelation to us. It's your holy word. You tell us that this is for our edification, that it is to build us up, it is to encourage us, it gives us another piece of what we need for life and godliness. And I confess that this is hard for us to think through. just feel like there's so many different things we struggle with as your people. So Holy Spirit, we need you to bring clarity. We need you to teach us. You, you need to reveal through this revelation what it is that, that we are to understand so that we would be encouraged, that we would reflect your good ways. Father, I pray that you give me clarity of speech um, and that you would make, make it very understandable as we go through this passage. But at the same time, may I become less, may Christ become exalted and become more. And may you be worshipped as we study and as we worship through the word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you, you heard the passage. You're like, not only does he have to talk about tongues and prophecy and order in the church, but then he's got to hit this thing on women in the church, and this is going to be a fun one. So I'm sure you guys are like, I'm glad he's recording this. I'm going to go back and watch it again. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 14, 26, he says, let all things be done for building up. He says, when you come together, each has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. So all things, our fellowship, our songs, our prayers, our teaching, and any use of the gifts or any ministry that we may do is intended to edify. Everything in this moment is meant to build you up in Christ. That's how it's designed. And Paul's saying, when you come together, you should be encouraged. I used to think it was a really silly thing. I went to a church in Florida, and they called themselves the Fellowship of Encouragement. And it's like the guy that introduced them was, he would say it that way. Welcome to the Fellowship of Encouragement. And I was like, that's so silly. And then I'm reading this, and I'm like, that's an awesome name. <laughs> because we're to come together to build each other up. Our services are meant to grow us in faith, hope, and love. And as we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 13, especially love, because love endures forever. 
So we are to be built up when we're together. So when we come to a Sunday morning, when we gather, there's two things that should be happening in light of this passage. There's, there's several things as we go through Scripture, but two that, that come out as we're just thinking through what Paul's saying to the Corinthian church. First is when we come, we receive encouragement from others. So if all things are done to build us up to bring encouragement, when we come, we're receiving, right? So we receive encouragement from each other's fellowship, from praying with one another, from the ministry that's done for each other. It could be individually. Someone could, be minister, could have already ministered to you today. They could have done something that was just really for you. Or it could be corporately, as, as is happening now and with the worship team and, and the greeters and that. Like they, they minister to everybody as they come in. There's different types of ministry. So there's encouragement that happens. It can be individual. It can be corporately. We can individually get prayer. Corporately, we pray together. Fellowship, we receive encouragement. That's the first thing. But the second thing is that when we come together, then we also come to give encouragement. Let me ask you, did, did you pray that God would prepare you to give some encouragement today before you came? I would say most of us, we don't think about it. We kind of get into our Sunday morning routine, you know, you got to get dressed, got to get the kids ready, got to make sure all this is done. And don't forget your coffee as you're going out the door, you know. I've been guilty of leaving it, leaving it on the banister as I'm out the door, and I'm like, where's the coffee? You know, like, you got so many different things going on. We often forget to say, God, I'm about to enter into your presence with your people. Is there a word of encouragement? Is there a ministry of encouragement? Is there something you would have me bring for someone today? That's what Paul is envisioning here. Because he's saying, when you come together, he says, look at this. Someone has a hymn, someone has a lesson, someone has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. God is preparing you throughout the week. You leave here on Sunday, and, and hopefully through your time with the Lord throughout the week, he's preparing you for when we gather again at some point, be it a small group or a community group or in the big fellowship, to bring an encouragement, to bless someone. So he's saying two things happen. One, we come to receive that encouragement, but then we also come to give that encouragement. So Paul sees a church coming together, and they are participating in ministry. So there's, there's this idea of participation, and when we think of participation, often it's we stand up and sing together, or, or you know, we all pray together. That's as far as participation goes. Participation is in all of it in the praying and the ministering and the, this being together in fellowship, it, it, all, of, all of its participation. Yes, we sing and worship together, and yes, we pray together, but participation is the whole of what we're doing, and all of that is to encourage us, to build us up. Now, that happens very nicely in small groups and home groups, community group settings, that's one of the things we're going to press into in the next year is really establishing more and more of that closeness and that, those bonds. Because uh, in those settings, one brings a teaching, one may exercise a spiritual gift in that group and encourage them, one may lead through prayer, another through a song. But as those gatherings become bigger, as we're in this setting and the gathering becomes bigger, it's harder for many people to participate fully. So what happens? We kind of default. We, just, we come in, we find our spot, we sit down, and we receive, and then we go out. 
And we haven't participated, we haven't given, we haven't encouraged. So as we're in this type of setting, I would say the most important times that we need to think are the, the 10, 15 minutes before the service and the 10, 15 minutes after the service. Because that's when we connect. That's when we can see each other. That's when we can talk. That's when we can pray together. We might not have an opportunity to pray together in this moment. And as you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh, I didn't say hi to that person today. Oh, I haven't seen them in a while. I wonder what's going on in their life. And you start looking around and you're thinking, oh, I want to connect with these people. Yeah, connect. But if we're rushing in and rushing out, then we miss that opportunity to participate in the ministry. We miss that opportunity to do exactly what Paul's saying here. So those, those times are important to us. They're not official church gathering time. But it is the time that the body can minister and be together and we can see each other and we can extend love to each other in very powerful ways. And so Paul is seeing a fellowship in Corinth and in all the churches that should be giving and receiving encouragement with each other. So again, notice that he says that all things are for edification. That means when we gather, for a, we get, when we gather it's for a spiritual building up. We're learning to live lives that glorify Jesus. And, and those lives, as we learn to glorify Jesus, they make us ready to do all the things that God has called us to do. Ephesians 4.12, look at this. It is the equip of, of me, the shepherd, the teacher, the pastor, to equip the saints... For the work of the ministry, you are the saints. Like, this is to equip you, to encourage you, to build you up for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. God has good works that he's ordained for each of you before the foundations of the world. Ephesians tells us that as well. And this is preparing you for those good works. This is making you ready. To, to get you to where you need to be when he says, okay, now's the time, walk in this thing that I have for you. And so we are coming together and we're edifying through all things. So our lives, honestly, our lives are lived out there and we are built up and strengthened and equipped when we gather as a family in here. So the rest of your week is going to be out there. And are you ready? This is to help you be centered on Christ and to be ready as we worship, as we focus as one and get our minds on the Savior and we look at what he's doing and then we listen to the Spirit and we're encouraged. And he says, now as you go into wherever he has you in your life, follow him out there with all the equipping you've received in here. And so it's a very important thing that we understand what Paul is saying to the church because they are trying to equip and encourage one another, but they're not doing a good job. That's the context. They're using spiritual gifts, and there's division, and there's different things, and he doesn't tell them to stop using spiritual gifts. We see that clearly. He just wants them to do it in order and that there's edification. Now, a couple weeks ago, we, we had said that we are to build ourselves up. Uh, Jude chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, we are to build ourselves up. However, 
We don't only come for ourselves. So just to drive this home, here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher. He said, spiritual self-indulgence is a monstrous evil, yet we see it all around. On Sundays, on Sunday, those loafers must be well-fed. They look out for such sermons as will feed their souls. The thought does not occur to these people that there is something else to be done besides feeding. It was true in Charles Spurgeon's day. It's true in our day that people come and say, what do you got for me? What do you got for me? What do you got for me? I feel like a little shop of horse. Feed me, see more, you know, just, just me, 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 you know. Paul says there's more for you to do. And Spurgeon laments and says there's more for us to do. It's not just come and hear a good sermon. And, and there's so many resources online today that I'm sure you can find somebody doing what I'm doing much better than I'm doing right now, and you can compare me to that guy. But here's the point. He's not your local pastor. He's not your local fellowship. He's not the one who's standing there doing life with you, encouraging you, praying for you, looking you in the eyeballs. He's not talking to these people here. Like God gave us to each other to encourage one another, to be built up together. And as imperfect as I am, he's given me this calling. So I stand up here with fear and trembling and I say, here's the word, here's the bread of life. Take it. Be encouraged, be built up, go do the work of the ministry where God has placed you here in this community. We do it together. There's something more for us to do. Verses 27 and 28, Paul goes on and says this. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, let someone interpret. But, there is, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So he gives an order when he's talking about this spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. Now, if you've missed that sermon, you, it's online. You can go back. It's called Walking in the Spirit. We went through all the spiritual gifts, what they are, what they aren't, how they're used. And here Paul is saying this gift, when it is used in the body, there has to be order. Uh, it's, a, it's an outward gift. It's a very... Uh, noticeable, prominent gift, because it is speaking. So he says, if, if someone has this gift of speaking in tongues, and they are using this gift, then they, they need to have an interpretation. And if there's not an interpretation, then, then keep silent, and he says, and speak to himself and to God. So he's saying that there there's, needs to be order. So Paul doesn't prohibit tongues in church. He doesn't say we can't do that. But he puts order on it. He says, if there are tongues, then the expectation is that there's interpretation. Tongues with interpretation become a prophetic utterance. And we've talked about how prophetic utterances and tongues all have to be weighed. They all have to be tested. They're tested by the Scriptures. And we'll talk about that a little further here in a moment. But he says there needs to be an interpretation from the Spirit. And those two together then build up the church. But notice he limits it. He says only two or three. So he's like, we're not going to spend all afternoon listening to everybody who has this gift. If there's two or three and there's an interpretation and there's a, a building up, then that, that should be enough for today for us to be praying into and weighing and thinking on. Like he says, this is how it should be. 
He doesn't see this gift overtaking the church in a large scale. That's the point. It doesn't overtake. It doesn't become prominent. It's part of the fellowship, but it doesn't become the main thing of the fellowship. He says, let there be two or three, again, with interpretation. So he says, if there is no interpretation for that, for your gift, if you have that gift, some of you I know have that gift. So he says, if you have that gift and no one has a gift of interpretation, one, we should pray that we have the gift of interpretation. If you have that gift, pray for the gift of interpretation. Then you can just speak in, in those times where God is, is working through that. You can bring that interpretation to be tested. But he says, if it is not there, then it is not to be spoken in the large fellowship, but is to be kept quiet and spoken to yourself and to God. So what's he saying? He's saying, you can, when we pray, when Rob's up there praying, he says, will you pray with me? You can pray quietly in tongues, right where you are. It's not to overtake those around you. You're not to be loud enough to where people are all distracted and paying attention to you, but you can speak quietly to yourself. You're speaking to yourself and to God. You're being built up. He talked about how in tongues we don't always know uh, in the mind because we don't have the interpretation what we're speaking, but we're speaking in the Spirit. So we're speaking in alignment with the Holy Spirit back to God, the will of God. So we understand that that this is an edifying prayer. This is a prayer that God's saying yes to because it's in the Holy Spirit. I don't know what I'm praying, but I'm praying quietly to myself because I don't have an interpreter. So I'm not disrupting the fellowship, but I'm at liberty to to pray quietly there. When we're singing, you're at liberty to sing in tongues. He says you can do that. It's not to overshadow or overtake the fellowship. You, You can do these things. So Paul's reminding us of the main audience with tongues. He says that main audience is God, by the way. It's not man. You're speaking to God. If you have an interpretation, then you can speak it to man. But he says, your audience actually is God in heaven. So on occasion, it may be for man, but primarily it's speaking to God by manifestation of the Spirit for our personal good and edification. He's going to go on and do the same thing with prophecy here, 29 through 33. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So he says here, let two or three speak. Again, like tongues, what Paul does is he, he does not want prophetic utterances to take over the fellowship. They are to be given, but given in order. So Paul is speaking favorably about prophecy, and he speaks favorably about prophecy throughout all of this letter, but yet he puts some regulations on it. And we need to take note of that. So Paul says, let let the others judge. And we'll talk about that here in a second because it's going to go right into where we're going in this next couple of uh, verses. He says, let others judge. Even if that message came from an angel, it must be judged. Galatians 1.8. Do you have that verse for me? 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul's saying that even if an angel came before us and gave a prophetic utterance, we are to test that utterance by the revelation of God. What religious group has an angel that gave them a prophetic utterance in which their foundation is? Go ahead, say it there, Keith. The Mormons. They were to test that. They should have tested that word. That's what Paul says in the Scriptures. Even if an angel stood before you and he gives you a word, you are to test it. So if someone stands up and says, I have the spiritual gift of prophecy and the Spirit of the Lord has told me this, that is to be tested. Not just received outright, it is to be tested. It is to be weighed, it is to be tested by the Scriptures. Now you're kind of wondering, like, okay, now what does this look like, Rob? Because you're talking about Praying in tongues in service, you're talking about prophesying in service, what does that look like? The way I see this working in the bridge um, is that those who have these gifts, these are gifts that are not out of their control. Um, they can speak them and bring them, and they can bring them in a, in a manner and in a timely way to where it doesn't disrupt the order of the fellowship. And what I mean by that is if someone thinks they have a word for the fellowship, they would bring that to the elders. They would submit that to the elders before the service or after the service. They would say, I think as I was praying, the Spirit of the Lord showed me this. I've been praying in this. I want to submit that to you. Test this word. And it's to the elders to test that word, to, to weigh that word. And if we believe that's a word for, for the whole fellowship, then we would allow that to be spoken. If we think that that is a word for somebody in the fellowship, we would encourage them to go and Pray with that brother or sister. If we think that it's not for now or it's not something that we feel as if it necessarily is from the Lord, like we're trying to discern it, we would tell them to wait, to pray about it as we pray about it, as we watch it. There's order there to build up, to edify. Tongues would be very much the same way if one has a tongue and they would... <laughs> They would need to find if one has this interpretation. And then again, that should be weighed as prophetic words are weighed. So we wouldn't just have it in the middle of the service and stop our service and do it. It can be shared before and after. As I was praying, I heard my neighbor praying in tongues, and I knew exactly what they were saying. And so we're bringing this to you as the elders. We would like to have you test this word. God brings these things to the edification. And Paul says there's structure and order, and they're good. How do we judge a word? There's five things that I, I wrote down. Um, one, is it according to the word of God? How do we judge what someone says? Is it according to this, first of all? Does it line up with Scripture? Does it affirm what God has said? Now, these are some things that we've said early on, too, as we were looking at... Uh, words of knowledge and things. So you can go back again to those other sermons. But is it according to the Word of God? Number two, is it glorifying Christ? Who's getting the glory from that? Is it God or is it man? Christ should be exalted in this. Number three, does it edify and cause the hearer to walk more closely with God? 
Does it cause us to have a deeper relationship with Jesus, or is it repelling people from Jesus? That's important because it is to edify, to encourage, to bring comfort. If someone comes and they have a foretelling, a future prophecy, well, then we just wait and see. Did it come to pass? And I, I mean, the first ones that jump into my mind are all the foretelling prophecies of the election. Did it happen? We know which ones were from the Lord. Um, I said that kind of snarky, but does it happen? And, and some, we just have to wait. Say, okay, brother, we'll pray into it, and let's just see. And number five, does it come with agreement of others? That's an important one. Does it come with agreement of others? 2 Corinthians 13.1. This is the third time I'm coming to you. So Paul's talking to the Corinthians. He's like, I'm about to come back to you again for the third time. And every charge, everything that's being said, must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now here he's talking about accusations being made. But when someone comes, is it being confirmed by others? Are there others that say yes? That's accurate. That's right. Is it, is it being uh, built up with agreement of others who are following and listening to the Spirit? And so that's why we test words uh, that are for the fellowship with the elders, plural, so that we can come to an agreement. So we can say, yes, we believe this is or no. We, we don't agree on this. So we, we're going to wait on this. We're not sharing this. There needs to be an agreement with the Spirit. There's a question that, that comes about tongues and prophecies and this ecstatic speaking or ecstatic uh, prophetic utterances. Can people be overwhelmed by prophecy? Well, according to Paul here, I would say no. Uh, he's showing that those who have this gift can control themselves. They're not overtaken by the Holy Spirit, the same way a person is overtaken by a demonic spirit. They're able, with the Spirit of God, to have control, to, to wait, to pause, to listen, to speak in a timely, orderly way. So the Holy Spirit doesn't take over the person in this, in this way. So when one talks, others listen, and they weigh what is shared. So why... Do we do this? Well, verse 31, again, he says, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. So why do we do it? So we're all built up. Again, going back, there's order, and we're all being built up and encouraged in Christ. So Paul stresses order in, verses, uh, in, in verse 33. He says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God is a God of peace. If gifts bring stress, if the gifts bring disorder, if they bring confusion into the fellowship, that is not following the Spirit and the will of God. They should bring peace with them in a building up. But if they're bringing confusion and disorder and you're all stressed out thinking, what is that guy going to prophesy today? You know, like, if that's how it is, that is not in alignment with the Spirit. Paul says, God's not a, a God of confusion. He is a God of peace. 
So God may do things that we don't understand. And, he, and we may feel strange as we're walking in the gifts, as we're walking in the Spirit, and it may feel unpredictable at times to us, but there will not be a general atmosphere of confusion. There will be order. There will be structure. We'll be walking through this together saying, God, what are you doing here? You're praying in this. God, you're moving in some new ways. I'm not used. All right, let's, let's see what God's doing. But there would be unity. There would be peace in that. There would be a stretching of our spiritual legs, so to speak. Okay, let's just stop there. And uh, uh, this next part, I could do a whole sermon series. So please bear with me as we talk through this. Paul then goes on, 33 to 35. He says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak but should be in submission, as, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Well, what do we do with this? Paul already has shown that women can pray, that women can prophesy in public gatherings. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 4 and 5. It says this, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. What is he talking about? He's talking about in the order of worship, how they are presenting themselves. Men and women are prophesying and praying. That's public. That's, that's what's happening there. So he's already saying there's spaces for ministry, for prayer, for prophecy. There's, there's this, but then he comes to these two verses and he says, now be quiet. How do you prophesy and not open your mouth? You know, it's like, I'm telling you with my mind. I don't know. No, like you have to speak. Some commentaries, if you do some research here, they're going to make this really cultural. They're just going to go to it and talk about the culture of it. They're going to say, well, Paul's using this word, laleo, which means to speak or to babble. During this time, women really weren't educated uh, the same, so they'd ask a lot of questions during the worship service of their husbands, and, and it would cause disruption. And he's like, just, you know, like, just be quiet. We'll talk about it when we get home. You know, like, on the car ride, you know, bring me your question. You know. So they were saying it was more of this cultural thing. They would point to the synagogue and say in, this, in the Jewish synagogue, the men and women were split. The women and children would be in one section. The men would be in another section. So for a woman to have to ask her husband who's in another section about what is being said or spoken about or things, that would be disruptive and cause problems. And so they're talking about this in a cultural setting that Paul's really talking about the culture of things. And then here in Corinthians, they're using gifts and they're not doing it well and there's a lot of chaos. And, and so Paul just kind of says, you know, the women are, are, are to be quiet and, and subject to their husbands at home, and, and, and others have come along and said, well, this is just really cultural because we don't live in that setting. We, we don't segregate men and women here. We don't have those kind of things going on. Our women are, are highly educated in our culture today, not like it was in the early church there, so it's, it's very different. And, and so if it's just cultural, well, then just throw it out. We don't need it. But is it just cultural? Because if we go to that, if we start looking at Scripture 
through cultural lenses, what else are we going to throw out? So there's more. There's, we actually have to dig deeper here. We have to actually do a little work. So in this context, what it seems that Paul is saying is that the public testing of a prophecy is left to the elders of the fellowship, which would be the men who lead. God has placed design and meaning in everything. And I think we lose that in our culture. We don't understand that really well. They made us male and female. He made, it, he made us in his image. And there's design in that. He's placed structure and design in marriages. He's placed it in our, in our gender. He's placed it in the church. So Paul seems to be advocating that women should submit to the leadership in, in, for speaking about the judgment of the prophetic word. They're not to be questioning those things publicly. That's for the elders to do. That's their job. That's their role. The shepherd to weigh it, to look at it through Scripture, to, to, to pray into it and think about it. And that's not the role of the women. This idea, he says it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. As I was, as I'm praying and studying over this, I think this idea of shameful seems to be rooted in Genesis 3.16. This is at the fall, and God's speaking to Eve, and he says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, he's not saying your desire will be like, when he's away, you're going like, oh, I wish he was home. I just love him so much. You know, when he's around you, you're just like, oh, honey, I'm just so glad you're here. Whatever, I, I just want to be near you, that's all. You know, not that kind of desire. What he's saying here is, your desire will be for him, will be, I'm taking your job. I can do what you do. I can probably even do it better. So my desire is to take your spot. So you come and do this while I lead. And where's the tension? He says, but the husband, he shall rule over you. His, his role is to be that spiritual leader. He is to be Christ to his wife. That is not an easy task. When I read in Ephesians 5 that I'm supposed to love my wife, encourage my wife, wash her with the word, make her holy, make her blameless, without spot, without blemish, to encourage her, to lay down my life for her, for her good, so that she would be sanctified and be presentable to Christ when he returns. When that's my job as, as a husband, she can joyfully submit and come under because she knows my good. I keep pointing over here. My wife is sitting over here. She knows that the intention of my heart is her good above my own. Christ submitted joyfully to the Father. Let that sink in. He's fully God. Same in essence and power and majesty, but different roles. And the Father and the Son work together, and the Son joyfully submits under the Father's will. 
And then he says, let us create man in our image. And he creates the male and female. He creates Adam, who is to be an image bearer, not just in the outward appearance, but the image of man is to reflect the nature of God to the heavenlies, to those powers and principalities in the heavenlies. When we gather today, we're not the only ones in this room. You realize that, right? Like there's angels looking in at the structure of the church and what we're doing and why we do it that way and what it looks like. And what they should see is the order and structure that reflects God in heaven. And so here, Paul's saying there's structure and order. As man is to lead like Christ, the wife is to submit joyfully. As Christ comes to earth to redeem mankind, he does what? He comes to take the place of the first Adam who failed to be the last Adam who would not fail. So Christ had to come as a man. That's another thing. Our culture is like, well, I don't need no man to save me. Yeah, you do. You needed Jesus to come to take this role that was broken in the beginning. Because testing of words, this is how important it is. The serpent comes to the garden, goes to the woman, and says, did God really say that? Adam's standing nearby like, I'm just going to see what happens. I don't know. No, he was to take that word and test it and say, this is not of God. Eve, don't listen to that. He didn't have to do that before then. He never once had to test anything. Everything was good. And so he's standing there thinking, I don't know what to do. So he's passive. He gives away his leadership to the woman, and he watches, and then he follows, and it brings sin into the world. Who's accountable? Adam's accountable. Christ comes to be the last Adam who sets everything right to be the one who does not fail. And so as leadership in the church is set down, why is it male headship? Because we are to be mirroring Jesus. We are to be the head of the church until the head of our church really returns. We are to act in that way, and the body joyfully submits under the leadership, the headship. It reflects a spiritual reality. Why do we... Why do we take marriage so seriously? Why do we think gender is such a big deal? Because these reflect spiritual realities in the heavenlies. It's not against people. It's against the ideas that set themselves up against God. We tear them down and we submit them to Christ. and We say, this is what God's design is. And in the flesh, we don't like it. (laughs) In the flesh, in our culture, we rebel against those things. So when I give this sermon, yeah, there's going to be a lot of like dislikes on, on YouTube, I'm sure, you know, because it's not in step with the culture. Rob's showing what a chauvinist he is today. No, I, I'm, I'm saying we submit to the structure and order of God because it is good. It reflects him. It reflects who he is, his character, his nature. And that's why he designed us the way he designed us. It's not just male-female. It's all of it in his image. It's all reflecting his image. That's why marriage is such a sacred thing when we talk about it. That's why the roles are sacred because of how God designed them to be. 
And that's why sin is such a destructive thing, because it twists and distorts everything. So it's not just a cultural argument Paul's making here. He's saying when we are in the gathering, we are to reflect God in the roles that he has given us and to show a spiritual reality. And so he says, with that in mind, women, remember where you're supposed to be in this moment. Let the elders do their job, and they're responsible for that. And it reflects God's good order. And they should be laid, the elders should be laying down our lives to serve the sheep. We should be doing all that we can to build you up, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to make you pure and holy without spot and blemish. Who wants to be an elder? <laughs> like, not, when you lay all those things on me, no. Like, that's hard. It's a calling. It's a calling. The shepherd is a calling, and it is to reflect Christ and is to reflect who he is to the world around us. And Paul is making that statement here. He's not using all of that that I just said in these two sentences. He's just saying, hey, here's what it's supposed to look like. And he says, and it's shameful when it's out of order. And so we are to reflect our God in all things. Verses 36 through 38 He says, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Even those two verses that we just read. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, I'm just reading to the end, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Paul says to the Corinthian church that they should remember that God brought the message to them through the apostles. It wasn't them telling Paul, it was Paul telling them. And so he's saying the order, the structure, the purposes, the reasons of all of this that we're talking about came from God. We delivered it to you. Now you need to joyfully submit to the revelation of God and, and, and get these things in order again so that you're being built up. So he's saying, you should be in agreement with me. There are people there in Corinth, and there's people even today that said, Paul gets it wrong. Paul's messed that up. Oh, Paul's just making a cultural thing. Paul's not right there. He says, if you're not in agreement with me, then you're not in agreement with the Spirit. He says, if you said you're spiritual, if you said you're a prophet, then you should be subject to these things, and you should affirm these things. And so he says to them, that we brought this to you. Those who act, teach contrary to Paul in the Scriptures are not walking in the Spirit obediently, or worse, they're not in Christ at all because their lives do not reflect the things of God. Jude chapter 1, verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. There's people who creep into the church with cultural arguments and modern-day thoughts and move the church away from the grace of God, deny Christ, and they lead congregations at times away from God. 
And Paul says if they're not in agreement, they're not walking in the Spirit. So if you found yourself in a church that's preaching a cultural understanding of the Bible and not preaching the Bible by its precepts and its understanding of what Paul's really saying, then they're not in step with the Spirit. And at worst, they're not in Christ at all. 39 and 40, he just goes on to say, earnestly desire these gifts. Paul encourages the gifts and their use, but not above order and peace. If you have a spiritual gift, especially tongues or prophecy, Paul says, use it. But make sure you understand how you are to use them. And that is to build up, encourage, comfort, and that you do that with order and decency. It's a lot to chew on in a short amount of time. So I, I welcome conversations, emails, whatever, online. Shoot, shoot those things at me. Um, just let's keep going to the why. When I got to this passage and I read those hard verses, I, I acted like a seven-year-old. If you have a seven-year-old, they go through that phase where you're like, I want you to take out the trash. Why? Because I said so. Like, you just wanted to say that, right? It's like, well, because the trash can's full. Well, why? Well, because you guys ate and shoved everything in there. And they just keep asking, well, why? Well, why? Well, why? There's a why underneath there. We have to go after these things. So as you take this week and pray about what God's doing in your life and in the fellowship and, and for the gifts, praying for gifts, also think about the encouragement for one another, how we need each other, and what that all looks like. And understand that there's a why, because it reflects God, his nature, his character, his purposes to a world that's in darkness, that needs a Savior, who we celebrate his coming at this time of year. Will you stand with me? We'll pray. Worship team, come on up. Father, I thank you for this, this hard passage, and spirit where I wasn't clear in some areas, or maybe I, I just pray that you help, help us all wrestle with this, and that love would cover this, that we would come together in love uh, as we were reading in 1 Corinthians 13. God, that you would be exalted, uh, that Christ would be exalted, and that we would long for that day when you return and everything's set right. Thank you for the gifts, and thank you that Paul was concerned enough to see order and structure and peace reign in your fellowship, in the church. Continue to make us ready for your return, Lord Jesus. Continue to wash us so we'll be whiter than snow. And we long to see you face to face when all things are new. So we pray over this scripture asking, Holy Spirit, that you apply it to our lives.